Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like General Manager, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships, and Director of Sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hey leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Elisa Padilla is an award-winning marketer with a diverse background in sports and entertainment with experience at top companies, including NBA, NHL, MLB, HBO, AT&T, Mobility, and Apple. Her list of many awards include Brooklyn Top Women in Business, Wise Women of Inspiration, Best Overall Integrated Marketing Campaign, and Hello Brooklyn. Elisa's background in digital, brand creative, and strategic marketing, new product development, media planning and buying, customer retention and affinity, budget management, multicultural marketing, and merchandise is a great way to list all of the tools in her toolbox. How does she pay it forward? She's the founder of Instagram Live Lunchtime Conversation Series, and you can check it out at Kick It With EP on Instagram. Alicia... Alisa shares her whole self with us today. She's climbed the ladder in sports, and she's now extending her hand back to help pull you up. Listen in on this authentic conversation that really focuses on the one thing you can control, the work, your work, your output. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Alisa Padilla, so happy to have you here today. Emily, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I'm really excited to be here with you. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And as with most of my guests, Elisa came with the highest of recommendations from a previous guest, Tammy Powers, who said, you need to interview her. So here it is. We are bringing her to you. And so Elisa, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. 
Sure. Um, so first of all, thank you, Tammy. Um, you're a powerhouse yourself, so thank you. Um, so I am a marketing professional. I have been in the sports and entertainment um, sector for over two decades. I, you know, fell, I, you know, the entry into the sports world was based on my family. Um, my older brother played basketball and our family outings were always to go cheer him on. So I fell in love with the game early on and have, you know, have been privileged um, to start at my you know, to start my career within the sports industry. And, you know, I have just, I focused on strategy, um, creative marketing, storytelling, merchandise. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into all those details, but, you know, from my perspective, I have just been, I've had a great, amazing run, have worked for some great brands and started off working for the New York Knicks back in, well, I'll say it this way, when they were winning. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, but, you know, I, I worked for an incredible woman at the time who really taught me the fundamentals of marketing and who really inspired me to want a career in sports marketing. So, you know, I have, um, I've had a great run. Yeah, you've worked for some notable companies HBO, AT&T, BSC Global, which is Brooklyn Sports Entertainment, Apple, the Howard Hughes Corporation, and the Miami Marlins. Take us back to some of those early days. What were your career goals and what was your plan for your career? Absolutely. So it's interesting because I, I think it's worth noting that as an undergrad, I wanted to work in television. I wanted to be behind the camera from a storytelling perspective, right? I wanted to capture things and tell a story that way. And I did my first internship at a network and I was like, okay, this is not for me. But what's interesting, and the reason that I point that out is because for those listening, it's equally as important to know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So during my internship, I sat next to the ad sales team, and they interacted with marketing, um, you know, on a daily basis. And when I went back to school, I was like, hmm, I think I want to give this marketing thing a try. And so I took my first marketing course and fell in, fell in love with marketing. And the reason that I'm so passionate about marketing is because it's the psychological portion of marketing. It's selling, it's developing a product to solve um, uh, a consumer's problem, right? But then making them believe that they need your product. So from that psychological perspective, that's what I love about marketing. And then I went after I graduated, again, lucky enough, I had built a really, really great rapport with the HR folks um, where I did my internship. And I was lucky and landed my very first job out of college with the New York Knicks. And um, I just, you know, again, I was an assistant. I was faxing, you know, getting lunch, like whatever they needed me to do. Um, you know, my attitude was if I'm, if I need to fax, I'm going to be the best fax 
relaxer, if that's even a word. Um, if I'm going to grab lunch, I'm going to be the best, you know, lunch grabber. Um, and, you know, from day one, it was just like, I want to work hard because this is where I want to be. So that's where it started. And I, again, I had a, the woman that I worked for at the time, I looked at her bio and I was like, okay, she got her MBA. She started off on the consumer product side. And I thought to myself, if I one day want to be a director of marketing for a team, this is what I need to do. So four years into my career, I decided to go back to school to get my MBA in marketing and, you know, just built those blocks from there. Um, and as I was going, I was working full time getting my MBA part-time. And one of the things that I learned at business school was really understanding how all the function, all the business functions work together. And as I was getting to the end of my program, I thought, you know what? I want to be a diversified marketer. I want to be a marketer where I can sit in a room and I can speak to a broadcast partner, or I can talk about technology, or I can talk about, you know, churn, you know, losing customers, gaining customers. And that, that at that point, every career decision that I made was strategic. And while some, and I have been, uh, I'll be very transparent, Emily, some have criticized the fact that it's like, oh, you were in media for X amount of years and then you went to technology. While others may look at it as jumping around, for me, those were strategic moves that made sense to enhance my career and to put me in a position to win. Yeah, you were filling your toolbox with yeah. all the right tools to be, yeah. when you're the leader, you got to know how to lead. And then you got to know a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah. And you know, you, you called your shot. You said, I want to be a diversified marketer. And then you went after it in yep. your, uh, in your career growth. Speaking of career growth, when you were at BSC, you grew from director of marketing to chief marketing officer. How did you achieve that growth over your seven years? Yeah. So it's interesting when I got the job at the Nets, and as director of marketing, I thought, well, I'm done. Like, this is it. Like, this is my dream job. I never, I never thought like beyond that because the, you know, the person I was modeling my career after, she was a director of marketing. So it's like, okay, once I, once I achieve that, it's like, I wasn't thinking, and I know that sounds really, um, naive, but I really wasn't thinking about anything beyond that because that was my ultimate goal. And I remember, you know, when I started that job, I said to myself, you're putting your head down and you are going to focus on the work. You are going to do the best possible job here and you're going to earn your stripes. And you know what? You're just, you're going to go for it. And I was, I started um, in November of 2010, 18 months before the Nets moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn. And 14 months into my tenure, I was promoted to vice president. And I remember a colleague who I'm still actually very friendly with said to me, he was like, oh, congratulations. He's like, Elisa, he's like, you could be CMO of the team and Barclays Center and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And 
I was like, oh my God, maybe he's right. So um, not, he was the first person to like make that point to me and not saying that that was, you know, a fire, you know, un, you know, under, under me to continue to move up, but it was just something, it was just a seed that was planted. And, but I still kept the same attitude was it doesn't matter that I've gotten promoted. I still have to earn my chair. And I tell you, I mean, I would go to work every single day. Like I was the intern, even when I became chief marketing officer, um, I had, you know, I rolled up my sleeves and if t-shirts needed to be put on the back of the seats, I was there with the team. Um, you know, I did, you know, whatever needed to get done because I, I feel, and I still feel this way. I felt at that time, excuse me, that, when you're a leader and you're leading a team, you have to lead by example. So one of the things that were, was very critical for me as I was, you know, going up the ladder was under, I never wanted to ask someone to do something that I didn't know how to do, or that I didn't understand the process. Because if I was, if I didn't know, then it's like, okay, if you get pushback or something isn't done correctly, then how are you going to be able to lead that person if you don't understand the process? You are a servant leader to, yes. to the team. Yes. Getting, getting in there, leading by example. You said, go to work like you are the intern. Yeah. Don't, don't forget that piece of, of who you are and what you had done along your career journey that led to the chair you're in today. Yeah. So go in there and do the work. And, and you're saying too, do it with an open mind because then you can learn, lead, and direct in a better way if you're in there getting your hands dirty. I yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's interesting. It's also, and I'm sure, you know, again, as we continue to chat here, but it's also when you're willing to roll up your sleeves and you're willing to just get the job done, you know, those that that's where, and people take notice, that's where you're, you know, given the, the special projects, you know, because people know, people above you know that you're going to deliver. Yeah. And speaking of that, during the time there, you branded five key franchises at the launch of the Barclays Center, led business strategy and analytics, uh, Barclays Center Arena Marketing, Nets and Islanders Team Marketing, Creative and Content Management, Digital Merchandise Community. Whoa, holy smokes, Elisa, that is quite the job. What were your tactics to lead your team to achieve all of those goals within these responsibilities? Um, how did your leadership style change over the course of your time at, at BSC? And I know I'm throwing a lot of questions in at one time, but like talk a little bit about those brand launches as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to note, I'll start off by saying when I started with the Nets, it was just the Nets, right? And we were 18 months out from Barclay, from the opening of Barclay Center. So nobody, like we were a small, nimble team. And it was just like, okay, we're opening up an arena. And we hired the head of programming. We had two people who worked on arena marketing. And it was like, okay, we're going to have how many shows a year with only two people? Okay, that's not going to work. So the concept of shared services was something that was introduced. So, and what that means is that the people, like the creative team, for example, that worked for the Nets, 
also worked on the arena business because the arena was just ramping up and we didn't have the capital or the resources to bring more people on. So fast forward to 2012, we open up this beautiful arena in downtown Brooklyn. You know, we open up with eight shows, eight sold out shows. We had an, an incredible run and we wanted the essence of Barclay Center and our mission statement and positioning statement was that we were a place to create memories and we were, it, and it's a place for everyone. So you had Brooklyn Nets, you had Brooklyn Hoops, which is college basketball. You had Brooklyn Boxing, you had Brooklyn Show, all the concerts, you had Brooklyn Family, which were all the family shows. So all of those franchises, it was important that everyone felt, okay, I can go to Barclays Center if I'm, you know, if I'm single, if I'm married, I could take my mom to a show. You know, we wanted to make sure that we were a place of inclusivity. So the branding of the franchises was very critical from that perspective. And we started to grow the team. So we started to bring on, you know, a, a few more marketing people. We started to bring on a few creative people. We needed video people. So literally from when I started in 2010 to when I left in 2017, we grew the team from 15 to 62, including myself. And that team, it was, you know, we had, again, shared services. So the creative team, um, the digital team, the social team, and then you had people who worked specifically on the arena people who worked on the Islanders only, people who only worked on the Nets. But at the end of the day, we were one big group and everyone knew what the goals and objectives were. And so if you worked on the Nets business, but your counterpart was putting, you know, was announcing a Justin Timberlake show because of the collaboration, they would have conversations in terms of, okay, well, how can I support you to promote this upcoming show to drive ticket sales. And I think that there was the point where when I got promoted from vice president to senior vice president, and I, I don't remember exactly, like it was just like one day I woke up and I was like, okay, this is no longer about me. This is about getting up in the morning and delivering and making sure my boss looks good. And then putting the other half was setting up my team for success and giving them opportunities to be successful. And that's where, and, I, and I'm not sure, I mean, I've had plenty of conversations with colleagues who have also had similar experiences, but there comes a point in your career when you're like, okay, it's no longer about me. It's about creating the leaders of tomorrow. So I'm very, very proud of everything that we did at Barclays Center, um, or excuse me, you know, not only Barclays Center, the Nets, the Islanders, overall Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, it was a tremendous team effort, not only internally, but not only internal, but also external. And, you know, to your point, to, to another part of your question in regards to leadership, it was just, my belief is you lead by example. You know, it's like, I never wanted anybody to feel like, she's not going to understand. Yes, I know what it's like to do X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm never gonna ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I think that that's really important. And I think that 
crystal clear communication is also very important. When people understand how they fit in the puzzle, they're much more willing and open to go beyond, you know, the call of duty, if you will, because they understand their role. Um, and the last thing that I'll say is I believe in, you know, I had, I have a four process, you know, management style, which is, you know, um, over communication process to find success speed to market and flawless execution. So you can have the greatest idea, Emily, and if you can't execute it, you're not going to be successful. That is amazing. Can you repeat that for us one more time? Yeah. For your four keys. Absolutely. So it's over communication, process to find success, speed to market and flawless execution. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> Those are the keys. I love that. And, and, you know, it leads really well into my next question. You left BSC, you went to Apple as had a product, as a head of product launch. What was it like working for Apple as a marketer, arguably one of the most well-known brands in the world? So I had, there's two companies that I admire um, and I just love their marketing approach. Apple is one of them and Nike is the other. And when I was speaking to Apple, it was like, is this real? Like, is this really happening? And um, it was, I was, how do I say this? Like I was, you know, humbled at the fact that they would even reach out to me for a role there. Um, second of all, that I got the role. Um, and third, that, that I was in a place of innovation. I was in a place where everyone, everyone who works at Apple wakes up every morning to make products to enhance people's lives. And that's pretty impressive, right? Like I wasn't, it wasn't about selling tickets. It wasn't about selling cell phones. It was about enhancing people's lives through technology. So that to me was really, I was so impressed. And the other thing very much going from East Coast to West Coast is that there was really a true work-life balance. I mean, people, people on the West Coast really mean that. And that was also very eye-opening to me. So I had to, you know, decompress a little bit, um, you know, because I was just so used to the hustle and bustle. And um, I was just incredibly, and still am, incredibly impressed by um, what Apple does and how that machine runs. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just innovation and thinking, forward thinking in a way that it's, it's not about the gadget. Like I had someone say to me, oh, you know, you're at Apple now, so you're just selling widgets. And I'm like, no, we're not, I'm just, I'm not selling widgets. I'm like, I'm, I'm in a place where we're enhancing people's lives through technology. Um, and through these, you know, whether it's the iPhone or the iPad or, you know, whatever, um, or the watch, it's, it, it was, it was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain it was. And then you, you went back to sports. So you, you left that 
that mega um, Apple that I like, as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, I got to watch on my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it is, there are products that are throughout our daily lives where we're using yeah. constantly. And you move, you move to back to the East Coast, but this time the South, to the Marlins as yeah. SVP of marketing. You led the rebranding of, of the Miami Marlins and measured that impact, as we know, is so important in, in our marketing um, toolbox through impressions in our media. So take us through that process. What were the goals of the rebranding and did you achieve that? Yeah, so it, it was just, you know, uh, um, an unbelievable opportunity to go to South Florida um, to be part of the Marlins team. And I joined the Marlins in June of 2018 and the new, the current ownership group had taken over in October of 2017. So by the time I got there, the new logo was done, uniforms were done. And anyone who knows anything about the history of the, the Marlins in Miami, they know that there's like this love-hate relationship. Um, you know, it was the, the team won a championship, they dismantled the, the team. They won another championship, they dismantled the team. So we knew that we had a lot of work to do. And as part of the rebrand, um, you know, I was responsible for leading that strategically and working with the uh, um, internal stakeholders. And, you know, the, the first order of business was understanding Miami. The second order of business was understanding how they had gotten to the local development and, um, you know, how they came up with the color palette and what our positioning was. And at the, at the core of it, the, the rebrand was about making the connection to the city of Miami and putting a stake in the ground to say this ownership group is committed to the city that these players wear across their chest. And we were, we were successful and we were successful because we led with authenticity. We led with, okay, we're gonna take the colors of the city and the colors of the city that you experience every single day are, part, are now part of our DNA. They are part of our logo. They are part of our uniform. Um, you know, we had one of the really, really cool things that I'm really proud of as part of the rebrand and the launch is anyone who knows Miami knows that there, it's a city of art. You see these murals everywhere. And part of our rebrand, we commissioned seven local Miami artists to do Miami Marlins murals. And every single artist that we selected had a tie back to the neighborhoods that we had identified were areas of opportunities, right? Where it's like, okay, you know what, like this neighborhood, we need to make a connection with them because we need we need them to come out to the ballpark and experience Miami Marlins baseball. Um, and it was an incredible project because every single artist was different. Every single artist drew something that was important to them as being part of having that connection to the neighborhood. And then, you know, two years later, the fact that some of those murals are still up is incredible. So, and, and I share that with you and, you know, your audience, because when you talk about connectivity and that one-to-one, -one, it's just like, you need to be relevant 
for, you know, to have that emotional connection with your, whether it's your fans, your consumers, whatever it is. Um, so it was a really amazing rebrand. And we saw, we saw the fruits of our labor pay off. Um, as we were going into the 2019 season. And, you know, and to date, I mean, the team has done an incredible job of really solidifying their positioning within the community there. Yeah, I love that. And I love hearing how that project came to life. And it's also, it's not only cool, it is, it's well thought. You said you placed those murals with artists that had connections to communities that were opportunity zones for the team. So- brilliant marketing and, um, and, and very cool. And I'm sure enhances the lives that the way that art does for those mm-hmm. that live in those areas. Yeah. Hey leaders, if you want to be in for a treat, definitely subscribe to the show if you have not done so already, because we have so many amazing episodes coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss out. And if you leave us a review or post about me or tag Leadership is Female on your Instagram stories to talk about the show, we'll enter you into a giveaway. We're giving away something every single month. Some of my favorite things from my favorite work bag to my favorite sunglasses. Make sure that you spread the word and we will reward you for that. I'll also send you a personal thank you note and repost your comments and reviews. Last thing, did this episode bring you any insights, ideas, aha moments, anything you are inspired by? If so, take one second and share the link, post about it on your Instagram, text your friend, email, so many ways to share leadership is female. And if you do post about this show, again, don't forget to tag at Leadership is Female or at Emily Jansen or my awesome guest today, because knowing that this conversation made a difference for you means the world to us and we love to see it. Thank you so much. At Leadership is Female, we are so excited to welcome Mobot as a brand partner. We use and love this product and know you will too. Mobot is a female-founded and led company that has promised to do things differently, from the core philosophy of sustainability and helping people feel good to the holistic approach of healing and creating movement around daily recovery and wellness, Mobot is the best. Mobot is a revolutionary fitness product and was the first to patent the combined high-performance travel, foam roller, and reusable, environmentally sustainable water bottle. Unique and recognizable, Mobot's proprietary technology is designed to be both impressive in form and function, not to mention beautiful and easy to carry. Order your Mobot today and use the code, all one word, leadership is female for 15% off. Visit Mobot.com today to get your Mobot water bottle visit mobot.com. And, you know, I know this, we chatted a little bit before we hit record today, but we talked about the historic hiring of Kim Ng. And I know that was right after um, you left the team, uh, but you, you highlighted the Marlins um, 
for that hiring and also their commitment to DE&I. So I wanted you to share that with the audience if you could. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when Kim got hired, I mean, it was like there was, you know, <laughs> shattered glass everywhere, you know, not only in Miami. Um, and, you know, for me, as I shared with you earlier, it just that the ownership group there is committed to diversity and inclusion. And we all know, and anyone who knows Kim and who knows, you know, her, her career path knows that it was similar, you know, to echo your sentiments, it was just a matter of timing. And it's, it's not what's most impressive. And look, as a female in the sports and entertainment industry, for, for me, it was like, wow, they're like the first GM of a baseball team, like she's the first. And it's not that she's the woman, she was she has 30 plus years experience. I mean, she's a qualified GM who just happens to be a woman. And because we don't see, we don't see ourselves in those positions, that's why it was such a big deal. And, you know, I, you know, I applaud the, the ownership team there and the executive team there because it's like, it's, it's pretty cool what they did. And when you step back, it's like, okay, you know, she's, she's a qualified GM. We know that, but the fact that she's, you know, the first woman is, is incredible. And I love what you said earlier too, about it took, it was one person to make yeah, the decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like one person, you know, I think that one of the things that's really important within the sports and entertainment industry is that it's a male dominated industry and we need our male allies, you know, to, to believe in us and to pull us into the, you know, to pull us into the room. And when I think about the person, you know, who made that decision, it was like, okay, I'm going to bet on Kim. And that's, it's one person. And if we had more people that were open-minded and were only focused and were focused on hiring the best, um, you know, the best people qualified for positions, you know, and willing to take that risk, um, you know, we, we would see more of us in, in key leadership positions. I hear you. And you have been consulting for the last 18 months or so. Can you tell us about, or, or first tell us about how that experience has been kind of going out on your own. We talked a little bit before, um, you know, I hit record about a lot of women who are leaving team side and going the consulting route and building these really cool niche businesses around their skill sets. So want to, want to touch base on that and also hear about one of the cool projects that you've worked on. Yeah. So I've been, look, I, I think in 2020, I think that the world turned upside down for so many, right? And I think that it gave people the opportunity to reset. And specifically in my world, um, you know, sports and entertainment came to a complete halt. And while I can tell you that, you know, when, uh, you know, when my situation changed, I was hitting the pavement every single day to try to get my next opportunity. And because, you know, there were no live events, sporting events, like it was just really, really hard. So I was lucky enough to start working on projects. And um, I have a colleague who 
was, you know, was in a similar situation as mine and she wanted to start her own business. And I'm like, well, what's holding you back? I was like, why don't you just go for it? Go for it, go for it. So she went for it. Um, and I started, I helped her, you know, launch her, launch the agency in terms of, you know, um, she was getting projects. So I was like, okay, I'll work on these projects. And one of the really cool projects that we worked on um, was um, developing the social justice platform for, for the Detroit Pistons. So, you know, obviously with everything that happened in 2020, it, you know, there was an, a need and an opportunity in the Pistons organization to say, okay, when something like this happens, we want to be proactive. We want to be able to have our platform to be able to support whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, whatever it is, we want to be in a position to really, you know, um, have a crystal clear positioning from an, from an organizational perspective. So that was actually one of the really cool projects um, that I worked on. I've also, moving on to, you know, technology and drones and sports and new fans had a great opportunity to consult with the drone racing league and um worked with their cmo um you know really just on you know like strategy um really you know advised on opportunities within you know the the growth of the sport so Again, it was, there were, was one person was like, Elisa's on the market and we need help and she's going to help us. Um, and then I've most recently have been working with UFIT gyms and have had the, again, the honor to work on their entire rebrand. Um, they were, um, you know, health and wellness coming out of bankruptcy in 2021 and, you know, just had the pleasure and have had the pleasure of working with them for these past few months and leading their, you know, the strategy for their rebrand and being able to tell their new story. And that has been, an, that's been incredible and has also given me visibility into another industry you know, outside of sports and entertainment. So it's been, you know, it's been a, a crazy 18 months. Um, however, you know, when I think about what's next, you know, I really, you know, I want to find my next home. And, you know, similar to my experience when I was with Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, I was there for seven, seven years. Um, and, you know, when I think about what's next, you know, I, I'm hoping to replicate that. I mean, all I hear is just the tools that you've added to this, this proverbial toolbox, even in this consulting that you've been doing for the last 18 months. I mean, you've really used that breather wisely to add yeah. more to, to your skill set. I think that's amazing. So this seems like I could answer this question because it's so evident. What have been the key themes for you as you progress through your career? Um, look, I think authenticity, um, working hard and it's just like, let the work, let the work do the talking for you. Um, I know that there is, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know. Uh, I just feel that if you focus on the work and you're authentic and in, in being committed to the work, like everything else will come 
um, you just have to, when I had, I'll, I'll, let me frame it up another way. I, when I worked at HBO Sports, we were working on a campaign and I was in a room, I was the most junior person in the room. And, um, you know, I was, I was just listening to everyone and we were talking about a Hispanic fighter and we were talking about, okay, what's the strategy to sell this fight? And I didn't say anything in the meeting. And after the meeting, the head of the group pulled me aside and said, Elisa, he's like, we hired you for your expertise. And he said, you're here because of your intellectual property, not for anything else, but for what you bring to the table. And I share that because when you're in, when you're in a role, it doesn't matter whether you're the janitor or you're the CEO or, you know, the head of sales. At the end of the day, you're in a position because someone is hired you for your intellectual property. And that to me translates to doing the work. And if you focus on the work and you deliver results, then again, not to belabor the point, but everything will fall into place. I, it's such a mic drop moment. You are here for your intellectual property. That is so unique. It is only yours. So use it. I think that is so well stated. I yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. Can you identify a tipping point in your career? You know, I thought about that question and I'm just like, I think, you know, I think for me, the tipping point was when I got promoted to CMO at the Nets, at Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment. And I thought, like, I'm at the top of Mount Everest. Like, I have arrived. And what's next? And it's, it was, okay, you know what? Like, am I going to stay here for another 10, 20 years, whatever? Like, what is next? And it was, you know, it's, it's an interesting process, right? Because I had already reached my ultimate career goal, which was to be a director of marketing um, for a team. And now as, you know, the chief marketing officer for this global, you know, entity, it was like, okay, what's next? And I think that at that point, it, it's like, I really wanted to hone in on even, you know, expand on my leadership skills because I kept thinking to myself I want to be able to position everyone who's on my team to be given the same opportunity that I was given um because look I had two people there who you know invested in me and took chances on me and I wanted to pay it forward so the concept of paying it forward was something that kept bubbling up to the top in terms of Whatever you do next, it's all about paying it forward. Yeah, I think that's so, so well stated and just such a genuine articulation of your authenticity as a person. You reached that goal. What's next? What's next was serving others. I think yeah. that's, that's amazing. So has there been a specific hurdle that you've had to overcome that really taught you the biggest lesson in this career? Yeah. So Emily, when, you know, it's, um, so back in, I think it was like 2017, um, actually the end of 2016, 
we had hired um, a director of group sales, um, FNS, and he came up with the idea of doing a pride night. And, you know, as part of the process, everything had to be approved by marketing. And I remember sitting in my office and having, being on a conference call and having a conversation about Pride Night. And I remember I must, I was sweating and I was like, I must've lost like 10 pounds on that call. And the reason is, is because I wasn't out at work. And while I never discussed my personal life, it's like, it never came up. I was, you know, the master of skirting the question, how was your weekend? Great. I was like, always flipping the narrative. I was like, oh my God, like they're going to find out, like they're going to know. And anyway, um, we went through the whole process and I went home that night and I was like sick to my stomach because I didn't feel that I was being authentic. Right. It was like, we're having this conversation and I'm like, I have to approve this, but like none of these people know, at least I haven't been forthcoming with these folks. Right. And it made me feel awful. It made me feel awful. And two days later, I walked into the head of communications into his office and I said to him, I said, I need to tell you something. And I was like, I was so nervous. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to get fired. Like all these things, you know, like fear, right? All this fear. And um, I said to him, I said, I want to let you know that, you know, like, I want you to hear this from me. And I'm like, I'm gay. And he was like, and? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, Elisa, he's like, what's the big, like, who cares? He's like, we love you because of who you are. And um, I, I was just like, I will cherish that moment forever. Um, and the biggest, the reason that I share this is because the biggest hurdle that I have had to overcome has been myself. I was so fearful of the rejection, of the judgment, of the blah, 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 the list goes on and on and on, that I wasn't my full self. And I remember the head, the, so the head of communications, he and I had a, a, a great relationship. His number two, um, as we started planning the celebration for the Nets, it was the first time the Nets had ever done anything like this. Um, she said, finally, we can talk about the elephant in the room. And I was like, okay. And she's like, you've never thought about how we have felt when we ask you about your weekend and you quickly change the conversation. It's like, Elisa, like, and I never thought about it, Emily. I never thought about how my team members felt. I never, because I was so afraid. So um, I have to tell you that after that experience, I felt literally a hundred pounds lighter because 
I had been walking around with a brick on my chest and the brick was fear, fear of not being accepted when in reality, it's, that's like, it's not even, it's not even relevant in the work that I was doing, if that even makes sense. Wow. I mean, you've almost brought me to tears over here on the other end of this call. Just thank you for sharing that authenticity and that story. And I think so many of us are, are trapped in this fear, the sphere of the unknown, the sphere of the story that we're telling ourselves that may or may not be true because yeah. we haven't let it out. Yeah. Um, we've kept inside, we've kept the lid on top and, and inside that container is where the story can continue to grow. And gosh, thank you for telling us about your bravery to open that lid and share yourself authentically with your colleagues. And guess what happened? They welcomed you with open arms and said, finally. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, finally. And, and it's just like, you know, again, again, the, 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 the lesson here was that I was so caught up in my own fear that I wasn't thinking about anyone else. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I applaud, you know, my colleagues. I, I mean, they were just, the support um, was just incredible. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that it, that that moment, Emily, happens with that group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the universe has a way of aligning those things for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, what it, what's your perspective? What's the outlook on women in sports? Um, I think that we need more women in sports. I think that we need more women in leadership roles. I think that we need more allies pulling us into the, the boardroom. And I think that the women that are in leadership positions, the one thing that, you know, I would encourage them to do is to pull up more chairs to the table because there's enough room for all of us. Could not agree more. I love that. High-fiving you from, yeah. <laughs> from the West Coast. That is amazing. So can you share with us, what are your goals for 2022? Yeah, so for 2022, you know, I just, yeah, I told someone earlier this week, I want to blow the pants off 2022. Um, you know, I want to, I, I want to get back to what I'm super passionate about. And I want to be in an environment where I can really be a game changer. And I say that in the most humble way. I want to be in, in a position where I can take my skills and my experience and really, you know, help the right company move the business forward. Well, the time is right. And uh, I know I have a crystal ball right here and I know it's going to happen for you <laughs> next year. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So now's the time for the final four questions. What's your best piece of advice for women to implement in their career in order to level up? Yeah. Focus on the work and delivering great results. The rest will fall into place. What is your favorite place to travel or a place that you're planning on traveling soon? 
Well, my favorite place is Puerto Rico. I just, I love it. I just love it there. I love it there. I have uh, been one time and it was magical. I yeah. love to return. So yeah. happy to hear that, that support. What is your walk-up song? <laughs> so anyone who knows me, Emily, and now you'll know, anything, any song by Mark Anthony. I love <laughs> Mark Anthony, love him. So any song by Mark Anthony is my walk-up song. I love it, love it. And finally, our favorite question on Leadership is Female, what is your favorite quote? My favorite co quote is by Maya Angelou. And the quote is, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. I love it. it. Relates right back to that authenticity that you just personified. So it has been such a pleasure to interview you today. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your whole self with the Leadership is Female audience. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can we follow along with your career? Um, you can follow me on um, LinkedIn, Elisa Padilla, or you can follow me on Instagram at kick it by EP. Kick it by EP. By EP. Yeah. We are, we're hitting the follow button. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Elisa. You're the best. Thanks, Emily. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, it's equally as important to know what you want to do and what you do not want to do. Number two, when people understand their piece of the puzzle and how they fit into the bigger picture, they are more willing to go the extra mile. Number three, you are here for your intellectual property. Treat yourself that way. And number four, what you can do each day to level up is to focus on the work. Work like you are the intern and lead by example. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.